Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We've been through a tough couple of years. What the hell? Pressures are real. The fuel price increases are real. Women are so deeply aggrieved and angry. You have to think about this as a father first. And if that doesn't make you angry, you are not paying attention. It is his way or the highway. I know our country can do better. He was an intimidating bully. A menacing, controlling wallpaper. Such marches, even now, are being met with bullets. We still have so much work to do. Call the election. Call it now. What am I doing right now? Let the people of Australia decide. Jenny has a way of clarifying things. Let's make some noise, Australia! Well, hello and welcome to Broad Talk Election 2022. It's so lovely to be back in this seat. It's been a while. We've had a long, long break, Martin and I, but um, what a time to come back to, to talk to you. And thank you so much for joining Broad Talk. As you just heard in that amazing opening theme that Martin put together, it has been a huge couple of years in particular for the women of Australia. We have made noise, we have protested, we have marched, we have rallied, we have written submissions to government, we've written budget submissions, but are women being heard? Well, I've got to say, this uh, election campaign, we're only a week or so into it, and I've got to say it's been pretty underwhelming to me and I'm I'm really wondering where the voice of women is or women are in, in this election campaign so far. So to have a chat about this for our first Broad Talk Election 22 series, in this episode I'm joined by a couple of fantastic women who are among the sharpest commentators in Australia at the moment in this space. Jane Caro AM, of course, is a Walkley Award-winning journalist, author, advocate, activist, a prolific author, actually, of about 13 books. She's a speaker and passionate advocate for women's rights, particularly the rights of older women and public education, climate action, etc., etc. And Jane, of course, is now running for the Senate in New South Wales for the Reason Australia Party, and I'm going to ask her 
the reason for that in just a moment. We're also joined by Georgina Dent. Now, Georgie also is an award-winning journalist, contributing editor of Women's Agenda, speaker and author. Um, you've no doubt seen Georgie. She makes reg- regular appearances on The Drum, The Project, Q&A, Today Show, as does Jane, mind you. Um, Georgie's also author of a fabulous memoir, Breaking Badly. She's originally a lawyer and now executive director of The Parenthood. Hi, Georgie. Hi, Jane. It's so great to have you on broad talk welcome thank you lovely to be here <laughs> we've been having quite a chat before we started everyone i just want to just let you know that we've all been talking 100 miles to the minute and isn't that so typical when you say welcome everyone goes really quiet <laughs> jane look I, i've got to jump in straight away you know I, I suspect most people listening to this podcast know jane caro but it was a bit of a surprise to see that you were joining the Reason Party and running for the Senate as an independent candidate or a candidate with the Reason Party. Why are you doing it? Well, I suppose part the first reason, to coin a phrase, is because Reason asked me. They rang me up and said, would I consider being their candidate in the next election for the New South Wales Senate? Yeah, and but I'm I, sure you get asked to do lots of things, Jane. You don't say yes to everything. I say yes Surely. to a lot of things. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, I, um, I've never been asked to do that before. And so ah. one of my philosophies in life is the more left feel the request, the more seriously you should take it because that's where you end up doing things that you've never, you know, you would never do. It takes you into whole new places. Ah. And also I was feeling like I think a lot of people very depressed about the direction that this country's heading in. So I had a good look at the Reason Party and um, I liked what I saw. It's Fiona Patton, of course, who's a very effective legislator in Victoria's upper house and has been for seven years joining with um, Voluntary Euthanasia Party to uh, really push for reasonable, secular, evidence-based policymaking, which aims to minimise harm, uh, reduce suffering and enhance people's lives informed by experts not ideology mm. or any kind of belief. Well, gosh, that's a radical idea, isn't it? Why not do that? <laughs> so I liked well, it, that. I liked their policies and I thought, well, this is something I've never thought about, you know, seriously thought about doing before. I'll give it, I, I will do it. I will throw my hat in the ring. I want to try. I reckon it's a very gutsy thing to do because, I mean, the, the chances of getting up when you're a minor party like the Reason Party up against the the multi-millions of dollars that are thrown in an election campaign, the chances of getting up are really quite slim. And yet it takes enormous energy and it also takes enormous dedication. So good on you for having a go. It's, Thank, um, you. Thank yeah, you. And I always – Impressive. I keep saying to people – if the only things you ever tried to do were easy and you were sure you were going to win, you would not do very much. It's the hard things <laughs> that are worth doing. Yeah. Jane, I, I, yeah, I really admire you for doing that. And, and I love what you just said then about, you know, the more radical the request, um, the more it's really going to stretch you because I think that's really, really true. Georgie, have you ever been asked to join a, a, a political party or, or even to run for parliament? I've never been asked to join a political party. Um, I have I have been sounded out about um, my level of interest in potentially running as an independent candidate. But at the moment, I mean, it's interesting reflecting on um, Jane's decision to run this time because, you know, in, in lots of ways the May 2019 
federal election feels like it was a different world. Mm. You know, it was only almost three years ago, but it was before the pandemic. It was before the Black Summer bushfires. It was before these horrific floods. It feels like a completely different world. And funnily enough, you know, in May 2019, I had just had um, Breaking Badly, my memoir, which is my first and only book um, so far, had just been published. I was still working as a journalist. I was, you know, a contributor at Women's Agenda, but I was very much, I wasn't in a formal advocacy role. Um, it was in June 2020 that I stepped into um, running the Parenthood, which is a not-for-profit advocacy organisation. I had been on the board as a volunteer for 12 months before that, but really what led me to accepting the invitation to run the organisation was that I had spent a decade writing and talking um, about the sorts of issues that I know we need to address. And, you know, they align very strongly with, you know, the parenthood has got a couple of key priorities, um, a key key policy priorities, um, and they are so inextricably linked with, with gender equity and, and, you know, those policies are paid parental leave and access to early childhood education and care. And I think that while I'm not running um, as a candidate in this election, I am really, really happy that I'm in a sort of constructive formal Mm. advocacy role because I think that it does feel different. Yeah. Look, I think this, for me, and I've been covering elections as a journalist, gosh, dare I say it, since the late 80s, and um, this election feels different in that the expectation feels different. I think the expectation from women feels different. And yet I'm not seeing the election play out. And as I say, it's only a week into it, but I'm not seeing it play out differently from previous elections. It almost feels like we have snapped back to an old-fashioned media coverage and an old-fashioned media campaign from from the major parties. It's And I really am wondering, hang on, what... (laughs) What happened to our loud, noisy voices? I mean, why are we sort of down in the gutter talking about elbow and uh, the unemployment figure, whether it's 5.4 or 4 or 3 in front of it, uh, and character, and and not talking about the big stuff, but rather focusing on mistakes yet again? I mean, Jane, what do you reckon? Oh, well, I think because this is the way it's always done, so this is the way the people who get involved in election campaigns do it. This is the problem. This is, if you like, the thick layer of men that Laura Lissy also always talks about, that things just go back to the way they were. And actually they're missing a huge opportunity, of course, 51% of the population, that means probably slightly more voters are women than men, Um are not hearing about their own lives or uh, any policies aimed at them. The Labor Party's had a couple of announcements pre-election. Um, they've certainly got a, a slightly better childcare policy than the Coalition and they've talked about um, getting rid of the cashless debit card, which will disproportionately affect a lot of women, particularly older women, uh, positively. So uh, there's been a little bit of movement. But quite frankly, yes, we're not the main game. We're still not the main game. This is the issue. It is the issue. Georgie, you're about to say something. Well, what I was going to say is it is exactly right. That is how it has felt to me watching this week. It seems like, hang on, uh, there doesn't seem to be that fully formed understanding 
that women do represent slightly more than half the population and women do indeed vote. Um, and what we are seeing that is different is that we have got candidates like Jane who are stepping up, but also we've got some independent candidates who are running in, in various seats around the country and the crowds that are turning out for those mm. candidates is pretty extraordinary. If I was one of the major parties at this moment, I would struggle to look at the crowds that candidates like um, Dr Monique Ryan or, or Zoe Daniel or, or Kylie Tinker or Allegra Spender, if that doesn't send a message to mm. our sort of political mainstream that there is something different this time around, then I don't know if we're going to help. I don't know if we're going to ever get them to budge. But what I would say is I think you would ignore women at your peril hmm. at this election. Well, why why aren't they talking more directly to women? Because yeah, the, and there is no doubt the the lineup of of women independents and and people like you, Jane, or and, you know, extraordinarily um, qualified as you are. I mean, it, it's it does seem so obvious that uh, the electorate has, in the support for these independents, has acknowledged that we want something better, we want something different, we want a better discourse, and yet the major parties aren't reflecting that at all. I mean, yes, they've got more women in their ranks in terms of, of candidates and what have you, but they're not talking to them. They're not talking no. to us. No, they're not. Well, I think one side doesn't want to, but I actually think the coalition <laughs> keeps thinking, we'll just throw them a few crumbs, you know, we'll, we'll give them a few little tidbits and that'll shut them up. Mm. Oh, they haven't shut up yet. Oh, give them some more tidbits. Oh, my God, they're still rabbiting on, um, which has been the attitude of conservative men to feminism uh, for the last 300 years. It hasn't shut us up yet, but they keep trying because mm. philosophically I think they don't like it. They don't want women to be the centre of things. You can see it whenever. Well, then, sorry, Virginia. No, I was just going to say, but to change that, though, uh, you know, we do things like this and we're talking in the margins, but the main game, the mainstream media, um, and, you know, look, some of my best friends and colleagues, of course, are still working mainstream, including in the, in the press gallery, seems to be very ready to fall in with what the both the main parties are, are serving up. And, um, and and not really questioning that, I, I think. Um, and I'm just hoping that changes. Maybe it's just too early in the, in the Maybe, campaign at this stage. Maybe, but norms are hard to break. They are. But I also think that it reflects a, a pretty disappointing appreciation of the structural drivers of inequity and, and of the sort of injustice that women face. The um, I think that... You know, there's no way around the fact that the last two years in Australia have been very different. And, and yes, partly that's been because of the pandemic, but also the conversation around women's safety in the workplace, in their homes, on streets, it has changed. We are having a different conversation. And I think what's incredibly disappointing is that because this conversation has been happening, there are so many advocates and experts and economists and leaders like Jane and, you know, across the board who are saying women are not accidentally less equal. They're not accidentally less safe than men are. And if we are not going to tackle the systemic drivers that make women less equal and less safe, none of that, that story will not change. And I think that if the major 
parties and if the mainstream media are not going to talk about some of the structural substantive solutions that women in this country deserve, then that is why you're going to see women like us coming together, advocates working across different lines to pursue policies. And I think that's why we do have a number of independents who are running. It's not a coincidence to my mind that so many of the independents are professional working women who have lived this life. Now, I would also say you have to step back and acknowledge that so many, almost all of the independent candidates who are running are are middle class and an Anglo. And that is not their fault or their making. But again, it reinforces the fact that power is far less attainable for women and it is so much less attainable again for women of colour and for for women with with disability there are so many layers there that make it less equal Um, and we have to talk about those things and if we don't pursue the policies the evidence-based policies that we know would give women the ability to earn an income the ability to even dream of retiring with something in their superannuation Mm, yeah it's not good enough. I mean, super, of course, is a huge one. And I know, Jane, you've been um, focused on on um, not only the rights of older women but issues such as super as well. Yeah. Why or how can we move or shove that issue to the forefront during this campaign has been a, a point of discussion. There is one thing that will shove it to the forefront and that is if some of those independents win office in the election. There is one thing that will shove all of women's issues to the forefront, and that is if women vote for the candidates that are um, expressing their interest in changing, as Georgie puts it, the systemic barriers that stand in our way. If women don't do that, if women don't vote in their own interests in sufficient numbers, we will basically have said to the men at the top, it's all right, you can keep going the way you are, it's just Mm. a small group, they don't matter. In the same way as we have people, I I believe the number one issue at the moment in all the polls and things about what do people care about is integrity and uh, a federal ICAC. That's what everyone's really concerned about. That's great, I'm really pleased with that. Except, again, if we vote for this government to be returned, after all the rorts and the pork barrelling and the scandals and the ministers having to leave for this reason and that reason and being in the Cabinet but sort of not in the Cabinet and all the, you know, absolute money going to mates, jobs going to mates, all the stuff that's been revealed. And if we vote them back in, what we have said is we don't really care about integrity, we don't really care about a federal ICAC, not really, and we're giving government's permission, not just this one, but every government that comes after to do these things some more. And that's why this election is pivotal. It's pivotal for women's rights, absolutely. But it's also pivotal for things like the health of our democracy and the fairness of our institutions and the transparency of what we're doing. And the really hard thing to grasp is this is about Australians making good decisions about their future and our fear has to be given what happened in 2019 that not necessarily enough of them will and that will send a message that perhaps they don't intend to send I certainly hope they don't intend to send it but it goes to Mm. that kind of apathy and lack of understanding about how political system works 
which aids the powerful. Georgie, I know can you, you jump in to get in there. Look, one of the things I wanted to, you know, I was thinking about this when, when you were talking, Jane, is that, you know, we like to pretend that things exist in discrete boxes and that they sort of, that they're not all interconnected. And one of the things, so, you know, this week, unsurprisingly, because, you know, it's a federal election, there's lots of hard hats being worn. There's lots of high views. There's a lot of talk about job creation. Now, what to me sort of typifies where I feel like the evidence is being ignored is that I did not hear the treasurer in his pitch talking about jobs and creating jobs and creating economic security. I did not hear early childhood education and care mentioned. And we know that the biggest, the most powerful lever we could pull if we are interested in creating jobs and unlocking um, productivity it is making early childhood education and care radically more affordable and secure. Now, we could we could generate 255,000 full-time jobs if we invested in making early childhood education and care free, and we would unlock the equivalent of 850,000 full-time workers. Now, that's before you even look at how it would improve the lives of children, how it would improve the lives of women who would then have some capacity to um, enjoy the dignity of a job, which is which is language that our politicians are using. And to me, the fact that the questions are not being asked or that it's not in the frame of reference no. says to me women are not being considered and neither are children and neither are families. We're going to take a, a really short break. Uh, we'll come back, Jane, but I'll take a short break. But then I want to come back and talk a little bit more about the responsibility of those women who are currently in power, in government, in opposition, and and why they're not pushing these issues a little bit harder. But just now, we'll take a quick break. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, welcome back. We've been talking about the issues that aren't being uh, pushed to the forefront of this election campaign and, of course, the position of women, childcare, the call for uh, universal um, 
childcare, I think, is something that uh, I know I've been banging on about, not just for the last few years, but for a decade or so. Um, but what is interesting in this discussion broadly in Australia right now during an election campaign is that there are a lot of women who are running, there are a lot of women in government and certainly in opposition, who seem to not want to talk specifically about women and women's vote. Mm. Women's issues, childcare. Um, is is this because they don't? We we've still got politicians who are really, really uh, concerned about a, a gender tag. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> this is the tragedy. The tragedy is that we know that all the facts and figures are on our side. I mean, Georgie is completely right about early childhood education and how important it is, not just, of course, for women and their ability to access the dignity of a job, as Georgie says, but it's also incredibly important for children, particularly disadvantaged children, who benefit enormously if they can access um, really top-notch professional care. Um, So we're cutting off our nose to spite our face, but I think we have to name it to some extent There are still considerable numbers of people. Our Prime Minister said it early on, uh, I think his first International Women's Day as Prime Minister, when he said, oh, yes, he was all for women rising as long as it wasn't at the expense of anyone else, which obviously meant men. Mm. So there is still this idea that... Economic security, that our economy, if you like, is a zero-sum game, that it's there's scarcity mm. and therefore, you know, each of us have to fight really hard to get our bit and we have to hang on to it because otherwise we'll slip down the bottom of the pile, which is the essential neoliberal belief about how society is organised. And women are seen by some people as a threat and so they actively mm. work It suits them. There's a benefit. If you want to know why behaviour persists, follow the benefit. Who's benefiting? Mm. Well, men think they are because they think they're keeping the power in their hands. What about the women, though, that are in positions of power? I mean, why, and particularly those women in government, why aren't they speaking up? I mean, they're spending a bit of time, in fact, quite a lot of time of recent weeks talking about the mean girls in the opposition after the tragic death of of Senator Kitchens um, and tagging people like Penny Wong, uh, Katie Gallagher, Christina Keneally as the so-called mean girls. They gave a lot of uh, press to that. But why aren't they speaking up about these issues? Because they survive by pleasing the blokes. I, I also think that it, it points to um, how readily we want to jump on a quick fix and a little distraction and let's talk about that and, you know, let's talk about, you know, there is, I think, an unwillingness to sort of look at these issues properly and and actually examine what is going on. And that's sort of what I was saying before about this idea that we can put different issues in different boxes. And I think that the, the first week of the election campaign, it has been very sort of job creation focused. It has been very, um, I mean, as we all observed at the beginning, there hasn't it hasn't felt like women and issues pertaining to women have been front and centre. And I think that part of the reason that that happens is because people just want to put women into a special interest group over here. They don't want to actually talk about the fact that if we were serious about um, our future prosperity and about economic growth, then ignoring the caring professions and vocations, ignoring the sort of structural drivers of inequity, that it's actually terrible policy. 
Mm. And talking about things like mean girl cliques, instead of actually thinking, why have we got so much sexism and misogyny in, internalised and embedded in, in our institutions? And, and that is because we have got the status quo entrenched constantly, and that is men are far more powerful than women are. Mm. And, and, and I think that's reflected in the conversation that we're having, and it's incredibly disappointing. And, again, it comes down to we've got the information and mm. every single person who is interested in the outcome of this election, it is beholden on all of us to have the conversations, to ask the questions. So I don't think it is appropriate that we're not having. I would really like both Anthony Albanese and Scott Morrison, both Jim Chalmers and um, Josh Frydenberg, to be interrogated about the role that early childhood education and care can play in our economy and in mm. job creation. Mm. I just think it's ludicrous that that question isn't being asked. And it's not just about that. It's if you get childcare sorted and so women can work and accumulate more money, you will get it. That, that carries through for the whole of their life so that we also do something really structural and important about preventing the increasing vulnerability of women to poverty in their old age. Mm. But I think something really fundamental is going on. And this is why I think uh, there's this stubborn resistance to what is sensible, what is reasonable um, and, you know, bleedingly bloody obvious if you think about it, and that is to actually seriously look at these things would be to say we are moving into a new period in history and a new world Mm. because if women become fully equal and full participants in this society, this society is radically changed forever. This terrifies those who do not Well, it is terrifying because what you're saying is, and, and I've just started saying this publicly myself for the first time, although I've kept a lid on it for so long, it does mean that men will lose out. Some men will yes. lose out. Some men will have to get out of the way. Some men will not retain positions, the positions of power that they have assumed they are entitled to as women rise mm-hmm. and as women rise. But it is, a, I think, look, I, I've dubbed this the the century of women and I really believe that to be the case and that at the end of this century I won't be around to see it and probably I'm not sure if either of you will but I won't be around to see it but it will be a very very different landscape and uh, I think that you know women in terms of power and leadership and control will be in a very different position but you know I, I think in Australia it worries me that we have this latent it's not just sexism and misogyny but belief that the fundamental role of women is parenthood, is motherhood, and family comes before everything. Now, we have that belief, but as you've just pointed out eloquently, both of you, and particularly, Georgie, in what you've, you're doing in your own work, um, that we, it, the contradiction is if we, if we believed that also women are enriched by holding roles or um, uh, holding uh, holding down good jobs, et cetera, et cetera, if they want to. Um, we should be talking about it more, but we don't. But I, I, look, I find myself going back to that very um, early Howard move in the late 90s when he, he really um, pushed back against the Office for Women and, and um, defunded it and rolled back a lot of uh, support for women and increased entitlements for women to stay at home and, and basically breathe. 
read that the the thinking behind that, the ideology behind that, which is that women are here to be homemakers, I find really quite terrifying that that is really what's behind this conservatism right now and that women in government are playing into it. And it's religiously based. There's a lot of religion behind this as well. This is this idea of complementarity where men and women have rigidly policed different roles and that God has ordained this and therefore. So there's a whole lot of ancient ingrained stuff which it's really hard to kind of dismantle and that's why this fight has been going on for so long. What's wonderful, and this is really hopeful, I think, and it is symbolised by, as Georgia was talking about, the rise of the independence um, and the sorts of crowds they're drawing, is that women have gotten in touch with their anger for the first time as a result of Hash Me Too in 2017. And that is beginning to change the world because we were never allowed to show our anger or act on it previously to that. And now we're all so kind of energised by it because that's the great thing about anger versus <laughs> depression. It's energising and we we move outwards. So I still have a lot of hope that we may give the blokes a big fat surprise come um, in 2021. <laughs> well, look, there's a couple of things there. I think that there's also no doubt, and this is obviously quite inextricably linked with the, with the Me Too hashtag, but the role of social media in enabling women to mobilise and organise and sort of act collectively has absolutely changed mm. things for women over the last decade. Um, but to your point, Virginia, about the sort of expectations around women's roles, um, I think you're absolutely right. We are very, very wedded to men as breadwinners, women as caregivers. And we are wedded to those roles in a sort of far more pronounced fashion than in other countries. And, again, I would say that's not accidental. That is a reflection of the policies that we have because we are all a product of, you know, none of us exist in a vacuum. We grow up in, in families. We're parts of communities. We go to schools. We're parts of workplaces, sporting clubs. The culture in all of those environments is informed by the policies that we have. All of the policies that we've got in Australia perpetuate the idea that men should earn money and women should care for children. And one of the things that really irks me about that is that there are lots of people who would say the reason they would love for women to stay at home with their children is because that is best for children. And what really, really irks me, and Jane can obviously talk to this in in the older years, but In 2020, UNICEF ranked Australia 32nd out of the 41 richest countries on child wellbeing. They specifically called out the fact that we are failing to deliver consistently good outcomes, um, health, educational and social outcomes for children. We have got at least one in five children arriving at school developmentally vulnerable. Now, for First Nations children, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, it's at least two in five. For children who live in regional and rural, sorry, rural and remote areas, it's at least two in five. Now, when a child arrives at school behind, they rarely, if ever, catch up. We embed disadvantage that they carry with them over the course of their lives. And we know that even one year of quality early education care in the year before a child starts school halves the chance of them being developmentally vulnerable. So if you care about children and if you want to say that we're a country that cares about families, 
then it does not gel with what we're doing right now because what we are doing right now means we are relegating 20% of children to lifelong disadvantage. And we're also overlooking the fact that children do best when their parents are supported. Mm -hmm. Children actually do far better when they've got engaged fathers. So this idea that a child, all a child needs is to be at home with mum to thrive is so far from the evidence base, but it's also not realistic because a mother who is home with children does not necessarily have access to financial means and children don't do very well when they live in poverty, surprise, surprise. Mm. Children don't do very well when their mums are trapped in abusive homes, abusive relationships. So I think that this is where we sort of, you know, the hard yards that we have to do are we have to fight for structural reform mm. to change the story for women. As Jane said, change the story, change the trajectory of a woman's life. Instead of accumulating poverty over the course of her working life, accumulate retirement savings. Mm. Set children up to thrive. Look, I, I, I couldn't disagree with anything that you have said, Georgie, but I do find myself thinking, but haven't we been saying this? Haven't we been acting on this as the as women of Australia have ever, as I said at the beginning, have marched, have rallied, have written, have submitted, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that here we are in the first week in an election campaign, a critical election, and, and none of these issues are, are getting any oxygen or any air at all. It, it, haven't we failed? I would say these issues are getting some oxygen in 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 among women. They might I not be. Getting, yeah, I would say, like on the margin. So, Jane, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I think we have to face the fact that it's back to what you said, Virginia, about the fear that men have that if they give space to women, um, they will lose out. Um, therefore, one of the ways to persuade women to take a sort of secondary role is to say to them, oh, your children will suffer if you don't um, stay at home and look after them. So you guilt women into feeling like they do need mm. to do this because it look, helps the children. But as you say, Georgie, all the evidence says that that is actually not true. It's not, it just doesn't, stacks, the facts don't stack up. So when people ignore the facts, you have to recognise that the facts are a rationalisation for something else. And I think mm. what we have is a society that at bottom is all about not protecting children, not protecting women, protecting men. Because you just think about the fact that we had those that spate in Sydney of king hits, you know, the king hitting where the some, and it was terrible and mm. a, a number of young men mm. died wow. as a result of these random bizarre attacks. And we, we actually closed the whole city down at night, you know. <laughs> bars weren't allowed to open beyond a certain time. I mean, my goodness. It, and yeah. look, I'm not a, a saying that we shouldn't have taken action. I don't know if that was the right action, but good. I'm glad we took action against But, yeah, violence. we're talking about women and violence and and attacks uh, and and the fact that women aren't safe in our own streets and yet and we home. talk about it as if it's a bit of a shrug issue, like, oh, yeah, well, we know that. Almost one woman a week is killed by her intimate partner and we go, oh, it's, oh let's run an advertising campaign about respect, shall we? Would that be good? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, honestly, I, I, I think as I get older I just come to the conclusion that that what we're looking at is really a radical rethinking of how we run our society. And it isn't, I've changed from smash the patriarchy actually to smash the hierarchy. 
so that what's happening, and it's happened in media with the splintering of mainstream media and, you know, social media taking over so much of the of the function of it before, it's starting to happen in energy because renewables, of course, smash the hierarchy of the big engine energy companies owning all the resources and, you know, selling it for ridiculous amounts of money and a small group of mostly men getting very, very wealthy. That's getting smashed by renewables. The sun and wind just doesn't work that way. It's also what we're doing with feminism. We're trying to smash the hierarchy so that women, people of colour, uh, people with disabilities, um, you know, all sorts of different people, more diverse people, can have access to more of the power, which does inevitably mean that those who currently hold most of it are going to have to give some up. And that's what we're fighting. That's what mm. we're fighting. Mm. Oh, Jane, you've put that. Very well, very, very well. We're going to have to uh, wind up in a moment. But, uh, Georgie, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that, you know, you noted before, um, Virginia, about some of the um, sort of changes that were rolled back by John Howard. And, you know, I, I was reflecting on, so Wendy McCarthy um, is the patron of the parenthood and we, we talk quite a bit. And, you know, one of the observations that she's made is that there is a feeling right now that reminds her of sort of 1975 when you know because australia actually was it's hard to it's hard to think about now but we were a world leader in some regards when it came to gender equity in terms of having a women's office in in terms of the um sex discrimination act and if you even if now if you go back and look at the debate that happened in parliament around that it was a substantive conversation about the issues yeah and what i want to say is i think that there is hope that we can recreate that so Yes, we've had a lull, I think, for the last decade where we haven't had the substantive discussions that actually everybody in this country, it's not just women, but everyone in this country needs us to have about how we can be an equitable, fair, sustainable community and we will be there. I couldn't agree more in that I began my journalism career, as I said, in the, in the late 80s and mid to late 80s, and the discussions from Parliament, particularly Federal Parliament at the time, was so much richer and, and mm. um, certainly a lot more uh, equity-focused than they are now. It's quite extraordinary. Um, unfortunately, though, we are going to have to leave it there because I know you both have really, really busy days and, and have to shoot off. To various things, we're going to try and check in with both of you again during this uh, election campaign series because we're only a week into it and already I'm sounding negative and I promised myself I wouldn't do this but I do sound <laughs> a bit negative. But I'm worried. I, I, well, I'm really worried. I'm worried about the level of, of discussion, discussion we're not we're not having. But just really quickly to, to round it off now, if you were to – I don't want you to put a sum on it or a figure on it, but you, you both, you both um, hinted at optimism – well, hope, I should say, but are you – are you optimistic? Are you are you feeling okay about where we're heading with this campaign? You're both pulling don't know kind of faces. I would say that I think there is scope to put women front and centre between now and the 21st of May. I mean, I think, for example, why would our two primary leaders not have a substantive debate on these issues, on equity in this country? And if, if they're not willing to do that, why not? I think that we are entitled to ask that question. And I think the more sort of critical questions we ask ourselves and each other, that's going to help because I think we need a government after May 21 
that's going to prioritise the interests of children, of women and, and of men in this country, genuinely. Mm, beautifully put. Jane? I have hope in the rise of the move of the independence of the women candidates um, of smaller parties uh, a, a rise of dissatisfaction um, I remember Aidan Ricketts who wrote um, the young activist handbook has a wonderful quote where he says activism is like the immune system it rises in response to the threat and so I'm seeing the rise in response to the desire to change nothing in if anything, to go backwards, which is impossible. You can't go backwards anyway. So that gives me hope and optimism. I really, really, though, want to encourage everyone listening to recognise that our democracy and our progress is a fragile thing. And you can't just sit back and say, oh, I'll just let my vote do it and then it'll all be all right. I'll vote for the right team and, 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 you know, that'll make the difference. You have to do more than that this time. If you care about this stuff, you've got to get up and get active. Find the candidate. I don't care if it's me or somebody else. I don't care who it is. Find the candidate that you think most represents what you want to happen and go and volunteer for them. You know, if you've got a bit of extra cash, donate to them because people who are pushing this stuff, we do not have the access to the kind of wealth and power that the blokes' parties do. That is just the reality of this fight. So all of us have to do what we can. We can't just sit back and hope someone else will do it for us. And if we do that, if women mobilise and get behind the women candidates and the candidates that are saying we need to do something about early childhood education, we need to do something about women's poverty, we need to do something about women's safety, this needs to be taken as seriously as anything else that we're talking about at the moment except possibly climate change, which changes everything anyway, then get behind them, help them, put your energy into it, and Mm. then we will change the world without it. And I know that we have to finish, but I just want to say one thing, and, Jane, because I was going to say this earlier, yes, absolutely, climate change is a challenge we cannot ignore and the only way we can respond is to look at the evidence and let the evidence guide us and that is actually what we need from our government across the board. Whatever the policy area is, we need to follow the evidence. Oh, there's a there's a whole nother discussion in that though. Fake news, fake evidence, etc. Don't even get me started. Look, you've both been so generous with your time and so so incredibly powerful in your words. Thank you so much. I, I've actually found it inspiring, really inspiring. <laughs> and you're right, Jane. We all do need to get out there and and help where we can help yep. whoever our, our chosen candidate or our local candidate is and, and, and question them about this stuff and Push help it. where we can. Gosh, one week in, I'm, I'm quite nervous about where we're going to be by May 21, but um, we will check in with both of you again. And in the meantime, can I say, look, not only thank you for joining Broad Talk, but good luck with both your your um, journeys through this campaign. Jane, you as a as a, as a first time um, running uh, as an independent, good luck. I'd love to see you in the Senate. That would be very, very exciting. God, I hope you get there. Vote one reason Australia above the line. <laughs> She had to get that in. But, Georgie, good luck with the parenthood as well. And I think you've touched on, well, you've both um, spoken, you know, very passionately about um, the need for all of us to raise our voices. The hashtag women vote 
I think is something we can all do, add to all our social media, women vote, and keep raising these issues and uh, encouraging others to talk. So thank you for joining Broad Talk, and um, we'll be back again in a week's time with uh, another amazing stellar panel, and we will continue this discussion. If you want to send me a message, do via Twitter or Broad Talk on Facebook uh, or any other way you can find me. Um, I'm a bit sloppy about that these days, but you'll find me. And uh, join us again next week for Broad Talk. In the meantime, keep talking. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.